Welcome to Least of These, where I cover the cases that need it most, because every life matters and everyone deserves justice. I'm your host, Leah D. And today I'll be covering the case of Robin Burton Jr. in Woodstock, Illinois. Let's get right to it. Robin Burton Jr. was born in January of 1981. While there's really not much known about Robin's early life, it appears he grew up in the Woodstock Crystal Lake, Illinois area. He got good grades, played soccer, and according to friends who spoke out to the Northwest Herald, Robin was kind, quiet, and kind of kept to himself. By 2009, he was 28 years old and at the time homeless. Robin often stopped by the drop-in center at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Woodstock for a hot meal. In fact, he had been at the center in early January, and then he wasn't. Days passed and Robin didn't stop by. Not that that was particularly unusual. I mean, maybe he had found a friend to stay with or was crashing with a family member for a little while or any other number of reasonable explanations. But on January 19, 2009, according to the Northwest Herald, a complaint came in to the maintenance office of the Prairie View apartment complex in Woodstock. A complaint that at first didn't exactly raise any alarm bells. Neighbors had simply called to complain about a fan that had been running for a long time. It seemed the fan was loud and the noise was bothering them. So a maintenance worker headed over to the apartment to check it out. The apartment was rented out to 24-year-old Kyle Morgan. When the worker knocked on the door of Morgan's apartment, no one answered, so eventually he made entry. And when he did, he stumbled upon a gruesome scene. Inside the apartment was the body of a deceased male, and with one quick glance around the apartment, it was obvious that the man had been murdered. His body had been mutilated, and messages were written on the walls in blood. Police, of course, were notified and quickly responded to the scene. It was determined that the man found deceased inside the apartment wasn't the tenant, Kyle Morgan. In fact, Morgan was nowhere to be found. The man in the apartment was identified as 28-year-old Robin Burton Jr. And Robin's murder had been brutal. He had been beaten in the head with a hammer, stabbed over 20 times, and pieces of flesh had been cut from his body. An autopsy revealed that he had died from a collapsed lung and multiple stab wounds. And further, the scene of the apartment seemed like something straight out of a horror film. According to Shaw Local, after Robin had been murdered, three Uno cards had been placed on his chest reading 666, or the Mark of the Beast. Dice with skulls and crossbones had been laid on his temple. Around the apartment, investigators found chilling poetry and artwork, along with letters written by Morgan to serial killers Dennis Rader and Richard Ramirez. According to the Daily Herald, in a note to shit-stained Dennis Rader, also known as the BTK killer, Morgan wrote in part, I would like to know if murder is worth doing. Does it live up to the hype? In addition to the notes and poetry, the movie Natural Born Killers was also found in the DVD player. 
Blood had been smeared all over the walls. On one wall, a message had been written in blood. It read, It is better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. That blood was later tested and it was determined to be a mix of Robin Burton's and Kyle Morgan's. A warrant was issued for Morgan on murder charges. Initially, the scene led police to believe that Robin Burton's murder was some kind of satanic ritual killing. And it's easy to see why. However, the truth was a little more complicated than that. But before investigators could get to the bottom of what had happened, they'd need to figure out exactly how Robin Burton Jr. had ended up at the apartment in the first place. Because at first, there didn't seem to be a connection between the two men. And they needed to find Kyle Morgan. As it turned out, it wasn't long before they did. The day after Robin's body had been found, according to an affidavit obtained by the Northwest Herald on January 20, 2009, a mother, daughter, and the daughter's fiancé were walking down a sidewalk 500 miles away from Woodstock in Nashville, Tennessee. The three were just walking along together when the mom heard a tire pop and turned to move just in time to avoid a Toyota Camry, which drove onto the sidewalk at a high rate of speed. Unfortunately, her daughter and the daughter's fiancé weren't able to get out of the way and were both struck with the vehicle, suffering pretty serious injuries, which thankfully they would eventually recover from. The man behind the wheel of that car was Kyle Morgan. Morgan had crashed his car onto the sidewalk after a Tennessee state trooper pulled up behind him, which made him nervous and that's when he had driven the car up onto the sidewalk struck the pedestrians, and then crashed his car into a building. Now, this trooper hadn't even hit his lights or sirens yet. He had simply pulled up behind Morgan. But that in itself was enough, apparently. If Morgan were trying to remain undetected, driving down a sidewalk, running people over in front of a state trooper ain't exactly the way to fly under the radar. Shockingly, Morgan was apprehended at the scene and taken to a hospital where he was treated for minor injuries. He was later arrested and racked up more charges, including being a fugitive from justice and three counts of aggravated assault. After being released from the hospital, Morgan was booked in a Tennessee jail. As he sat in jail in Tennessee, back in Illinois, news broke about the murder and disturbing details about Kyle Morgan began to emerge. The Northwest Herald reported on Morgan's social media accounts, which further showed his obsession in idolization of serial killers, murder, death, and destruction. Morgan had multiple MySpace pages. Remember, this was 2009. MySpace was still popping. Anyhow, on one of those pages, Kyle Morgan went by the name Thrill Kill Kyle, where he stated that he was, quote, down with Satan. That profile was filled with images of women in bondage, anti-police graffiti, pentagrams, and photos of the aftermath of the Oklahoma City bombing. In the book section of the profile, Morgan listed a few of his favorites, to include the Satanic Bible, the Anarchist Cookbook, and the Turner Diaries, which is a fictional book in which white supremacists overthrow the U.S. government with the intent to commit the extermination of minorities. According to Vox, Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh was also obsessed with the book, selling copies of it at gun shows, mailing it to friends and family members, urging them to read it. It is believed McVeigh used the book as a blueprint to carry out the bombing. 
Not only are there striking similarities between the book and the actual bombing, clippings from the book with portions highlighted were found in the car McVeigh was driving when he was arrested 90 minutes after the attack. Or at least that's what I gathered in my minimal research on the subject. Y'all, I'm pretty committed to researching just about every aspect of a case. But reading a fictional story written by a neo-Nazi ain't my cup of tea, so that's all I got for you. The Thrill Kill Kyle page was only one of several belonging to Morgan. He had one account dedicated to Ted Bundy and another titled Nihilist Style. What exactly is a nihilist? I'm so glad you asked. According to the Encyclopedia of Philosophy, the most basic definition of nihilism is the belief that all values are baseless and nothing can be known or communicated. In the most extreme version, life is basically pointless, we're all just here waiting to die. It's associated with extreme pessimism where one believes in absolutely nothing and feels the existence of humans is senseless and useless. Notice I said in the most extreme versions, there are variations and not everyone believes exactly the same. However, it appears Morgan's views were on the extreme side. In blog post, Morgan wrote about his girlfriend who he claimed died of a drug overdose and how the two engaged in bloodletting during sex. He wrote, Two and a half years ago, a girl I was in love with died of a heroin overdose. We used to watch Dracula together and have blood sex. She meant the world to me. These words speak of how I feel. I would submit to the darkest deeds in the world just to be able to kiss her beautiful face again. According to the Daily Herald, on other sites, Morgan seemed to take an interest in Heath Ledger's character, the Joker in The Dark Knight. He posted photos of Charles Manson and photos of himself featuring the tattoos on his back. One read serial killer and the other 666. It was pretty clear to everyone that Kyle Morgan was deeply troubled. His parents soon spoke out to multiple news outlets, offering sympathy to all of those affected by their son's actions, and further revealing that Morgan had struggled with his mental health since the age of 14. He had been committed for inpatient care on multiple occasions, and according to his father, they had tried to have him involuntarily committed, but their request was rejected by a judge because at the time, he hadn't harmed anyone. Details also surfaced about an incident in the months prior to the murder in July of 2008, in which, according to police, Morgan was in Arlington Heights with his at-the-time girlfriend. The two had been drinking alcohol for more than 12 hours when, according to the girlfriend, they were just watching TV and Morgan unexpectedly jumped up and began beating and choking her. At some point during the altercation, his demeanor changed and he appeared remorseful. He then grabbed a razor and cut his own neck three times, slit both of his wrists, and according to Arlington Heights Police Commander Ken Galinsky, as he spoke to the Northwest Herald, stated, Man, I really cut deep this time. Morgan then jumped from a second-story balcony, believing he could fly. He was hospitalized for around a week due to his injuries, and his at-the-time girlfriend refused to press charges, so nothing really came of the incident. After scouring through Morgan's social media, talking to those that knew him and witnesses around the apartment complex, investigators were still unable to find a connection between Robin Burton Jr. and Kyle Morgan. 
Of course, they wanted to interview Morgan, but they wanted a little background information first, and they had time since he was still behind bars in Tennessee. By late January, though, they were ready. So detectives from Illinois made their way down to Tennessee to interview Morgan. And talk to him they did. However, many of the statements Kyle Morgan made to investigators are to this day unknown, due to a later court ruling that sealed parts of the record and deemed the statements inadmissible in court. The reason? During his interrogation, Morgan asked for an attorney, but the questioning continued. Therefore, the statements made during that interview couldn't be used against him. And further, the judge ordered that the police reports pertaining to his interrogation be sealed. So we don't know much, but what we do know is that prior to January 18, 2009, Kyle Morgan and Robin Burton Jr. were complete strangers. As it turned out, they had met that January day at a train station. According to Morgan, the pair traveled to Crystal Lake in Chicago together, attempting to buy heroin. When they were unsuccessful, they headed back to Morgan's apartment in Woodstock and drank several beers while they played video games. At some point, for apparently no reason, Morgan attacked Robin from behind, striking him several times in the head with a hammer and then stabbing him between 20 to 30 times. Eventually, as we know, he fled the scene and wound up in Tennessee, wrecked his car, and injured two pedestrians. Officials from Tennessee met with officials from Illinois, and it was decided that before Kyle Morgan would be extradited back to Illinois to face murder charges, his case in Tennessee would be settled. Morgan eventually pled guilty to two counts of aggravated assault, his attorney stating to the Daily Herald about the plea. He acknowledged that the settlement offer is one he deemed to be in his best interest to take, and he felt that if he had gone to trial, there was enough evidence to find him guilty. I mean, remember, this had all occurred in front of a state trooper. Morgan was sentenced to five years in prison. After his sentencing, he was supposed to be immediately extradited to Illinois. However, there was a delay. According to Assistant McHenry County State's Attorney Michael Combs, the delay was likely caused by, quote, internal disciplinary issues Morgan had while locked up in Tennessee. Officials in Tennessee, however, disputed this, saying they were not the ones delaying extradition. Regardless of the reason, between the aggravated assault case making its way through the courts and the issues with Morgan's extradition, a year and a half passed before Ryan Morgan was finally taken back to Illinois to officially face the murder charges. Like most defendants, Morgan initially pled not guilty to first-degree murder, and everyone began making preparations for a trial. Kyle Morgan's defense team included attorney Steve Greenberg, who had previously represented former police officer Drew Peterson in the murder of his third wife, Kathleen Savio. And I say previously represented because Greenberg had been fired in the Peterson case after arguing with other members of the defense team. Anyhow, part of the trial preparations were that Kyle Morgan was to be evaluated by mental health professionals, both by his defense team and the prosecution. It seems that after those evaluations were completed in the summer of 2013, a deal was struck. Kyle Morgan changed his plea to guilty but mentally ill in the first-degree murder of Robin Burton Jr. 
Both the prosecution and the defense agreed that at the time of the murder, Kyle Morgan was suffering with severe mental health issues. Morgan's defense team spoke to Shaw Local about the deal, stating that medical experts were, quote, quite vocal in their belief that the defense had enough evidence to lead a jury to a possible not guilty by reason of insanity verdict, but they declined to say why they had decided to take a plea deal. On October 17, 2013, it was time for sentencing. Morgan was facing a maximum of 36 years in prison. At his sentencing hearing, more details about the months and weeks leading up to the murders and Morgan's mental health were revealed. His father testified that his son had battled depression and substance abuse since he was a child and had attempted to kill himself at least eight times since he was 16 years old. He fought back tears as he described how he had sent his son to both inpatient and outpatient rehabs over the years, and that Morgan would complete these programs and come home an absolutely new person. He went on to say, when sober, he was well-liked, had motivation, wanted to go to college. But those successes would be short-lived, and after a few months, Morgan would relapse again and the cycle started all over. Are you looking for a new podcast? Well, allow me to tell you all about Foul Play Crime Series with Shane Waters. Shane is one of the OG true crime podcasters. He started Foul Play Crime Series all the way back in 2014. It was one of the first crime-specific series podcasts. Shane takes you along through the case with firsthand accounts from witnesses, detectives, family members, and sometimes even surviving victims. Over the 14 seasons of Foul Play Crime series, Shane Waters has solved a serial killer case from the 80s, identified three Jane Doe victims, and season two of the podcast was even turned into the Netflix series The Keepers. Nobody does it quite like Shane, and with 14 seasons, there are plenty of episodes to binge. You can find Foul Play Crime series on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Believe me, you won't be disappointed. The Chicago Tribune reported that forensic psychiatrists testified that Kyle Morgan suffered from bipolar disorder and had been prescribed a drug in the months before the murder that should not be used for his type of disorder. And further, Morgan himself admitted that on the day of the murder, he had taken more than the prescribed amount of medication. According to testimony from forensic psychiatrist Dr. Jonathan Howard, Morgan had been prescribed an ADHD medication known as Vyvanse in the months prior to the murder. The doctor called the drug, quote, poison, and testified that it was particularly dangerous for those with a bipolar diagnosis. He went on to explain that Vyvanse can exacerbate psychosis in those with bipolar due to the increased dopamine level in the brain. This can cause the person to become increasingly irritable or prone to violent outbursts. Dr. Howard stated, quote, In an individual with bipolar disorder, this is an extremely poor choice. He went on to point out that Morgan's first violent episode, the one where he attacked his girlfriend and then tried to harm himself, 
occurred just a few weeks after he started taking the medication. Another forensic psychiatrist, Dr. James Cavanaugh, also testified and described Morgan's mental illness, substance abuse, dark thoughts, and morbid obsessions as lighter fluid and Vivance as a match. Huge disclaimer here before we go any further. Please do not take any of this as medical advice and always consult your own healthcare provider if you have questions or concerns about a medication or your mental health. With that being said, the risks of taking Vyvanse for someone who has been diagnosed with bipolar has been well documented. While there is no one-size-fits-all treatment for someone diagnosed with ADHD and bipolar disorder, studies published in PubMed report that stimulants such as Vyvanse may increase manic and or psychotic episodes in those diagnosed with bipolar. The FDA recommends patients be evaluated for bipolar disorder prior to being prescribed any stimulant-type drug. In fact, the warning label of the drug itself states, Call your healthcare provider right away if you or your child have any new or worsening mental symptoms or problems during treatment with Vyvanse, especially hearing voices, seeing or believing things that are not real, or new manic symptoms. It goes on to list a set of psychiatric problems to look out for, such as new or worse behavior and thought problems, new or worse bipolar illness, new psychotic symptoms, or new manic symptoms. And further, under the most serious side effects, a risk of abuse independence, stating, tell your healthcare provider if you or your child have ever abused or been dependent on alcohol, prescription medicines, or street drugs. As we know, Kyle Morgan had a history of drug addiction. The defense argued that all of this together had created the perfect storm. Dr. Kavanaugh stated, What resulted is a state of mind simply out of control. There was no impulse control and it made no sense. The prosecution conceded that Kyle Morgan's mental health issues played a role in the murder of Robert Burton Jr., but stopped short of blaming Vyvanse for his actions. Assistant State's Attorney Michael Combs stated, The defense can make all the excuses they want. He killed a man in a brutally horrific way. And with that, Kyle Morgan was sentenced to 30 years in prison. He is currently incarcerated at Dixon Correctional Center with a projected parole date of February of 2039. After sentencing was over and the courtroom cleared, the Burton and Morgan families embraced each other. Robin Burton Jr.'s uncle stating, I just hope the sentence he was given will get him some help. I feel bad for the Morgan family as well. What happened on January 18, 2009 was tragic for both families. It appears Kyle Morgan's family had done everything in their power to get him help, but Morgan had only spiraled deeper into his addiction and dark obsessions, and it cost Robin Burton Jr. his life. Robin was just looking for a place to sleep, maybe a hot meal, and a friend to hang out with. It was January in Illinois. He was cold and seeking shelter. He never could have known when he entered that apartment the nightmare he was walking into. He just wanted a warm place to sleep, and that is so very tragic. One more quick thing before we go. If you or someone you know is struggling mentally, whether it's due to addiction or just mental health, please reach out to someone you can trust. 
If you're in crisis or need help finding resources in the U.S., you can call the National Helpline at 1-800-662-HELP to speak to someone and be connected with resources in your area. You can also visit samhsa.gov. The helpline is free, confidential, and someone is available 24-7. Please know that you're not alone. You're far from it. One in five adults in the U.S. experience some form of mental health issue at some point each year. You matter. There is no shame in seeking help. I'll be sure to link these resources in the show notes as well. As always, you can find more information on this case on my Instagram at least underscore of these or my Facebook at least of these podcast. I'll be bringing you an all new episode next Thursday. Make sure you hit that subscribe button if you haven't already so you don't miss it. In the meantime, don't forget to check out Foul Play Crime Series. I'll be sure to drop a link in the show notes for that as well. You can finally get all your episodes ad-free just the way you like them for just $2 a month. And as a member of Patreon, you'll be the first to be notified when new tiers will be launched with exclusive episodes and a few bonus surprises. Head on over to patreon.com slash least of these to support the show today. Thank you for listening. Thank you for caring. If you know something, say something. And until next time, be good to each other.